Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week at the same time. We really do respect and appreciate your time, and so we're so thankful for those of you that we've heard from uh, either via mail, email, uh, or uh, we're just so thankful to be able to meet so many of you as we're traveling and we're in your city and we just really, really have enjoyed meeting many of our television audience when we're somewhere near you. Uh, might ought to just mention that uh, if you want to see if we're coming to a city near you, we travel all the time. We're in a different city every week somewhere preaching, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if you'd like to come and be in one of our meetings, please just go to my website and my itinerary is listed there and where we will be. And we'd love to meet you. Uh, also, you could go to my public profile on Facebook and hit like, and I normally will announce uh, where we're going to be there. We're in the middle of a series right now called The I Am's of Jesus. We are on the third one that he said seven times in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am. He says that usually in contrast to, uh, for instance, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I am the true bread that came down from heaven. So he usually makes those statements in contrast to like you thought that was the bread, that's not the bread, I'm the bread. Uh, we find him uh, saying to them, I am the vine. And you will find later that he says in Isaiah uh, that you thought Israel was the vine, but I'm the choice vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And every tree in me that does not bring forth good fruit is uh, hewn down, cast into the fire. A lot of stuff could be said about that. We're going to say it when we get to that one. But he's saying, you thought that was the vine, but I'm the vine. Last week we began, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about I am the door. Because what we showed you last week is that in John 10, let me go back and read this just to give us a place to start. But while I'm getting ready to read this in John 10, where he says, I am the door, let me just remind you quickly that if you've missed any of these segments and you'd like to uh, review them, you'd like to go back and study them. Or you say, boy, I, I just got here about 10 programs into the series, you can go back to YouTube and watch them. They are archived there on our YouTube channel. You can also go to our iTunes podcast and listen to the audio portions of these uh, uh, programs while you're mowing your lawn, while you're commuting to work. They're great ways to redeem the time. You can also get it as an RSS feed for your Android device, and the simplest way to do that is to simply go to my website, and then the upper right-hand corner, there are icons for YouTube, for iTunes, and for Android, and if you click on them, they will take you directly to that link. It's real easy to find it that way. Uh, and even if you're not computer savvy, you can always go there and find them, and uh, you can listen to the audio portions. And I believe it'll be a blessing to you. Share them with your friends. Do that, please. Share it on your Facebook page, and, and because the word is getting out. We are amazed at the reports that are coming in from people who we did not know was watching, and I'm real encouraged by that, to be honest with you. So uh, go do that. We're going to come back to John 10, where he says, I am the door, because that's the series we're in right now. 
John 10 verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now what we did is we showed you uh, that, first of all, uh, it it says that he that climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now if you go down to verse 8 in John 10, it says, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And in verse 9 he says, I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to kill, or for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. And what I begin to share with you, this may be a revolutionary concept to many. But when you read John 10, and I'm not trying to be quarrelsome, it's just that every time I've ever heard John 10 preached or mentioned, it's always John 10, 10 is talking about the devil. Now, I, I beg to differ with that. Now, I'm not saying the devil may not be involved in John 10, but the thief of John 10 is not the devil. The thief of John 10 is in verse 1 and in verse 9, is when you think there's some other way into the sheepfold, the same, the same is a thief and a robber. Say this with me, some other way. If you read that, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now the some other way, in contrast to John 10, is you thought you could enter the sheepfold through performance, Christianity, or the law of Moses, and the reality of it is, is that you don't enter that door through those performance-based religious systems. You enter the door into life and through the sheepfold through the one door, which is Jesus Christ, because if you try it through the door of religion, it is a thief, and it will leave you bleeding and dying. And last week we shared with you out of Luke, I believe it is, uh, the 10th chapter, let me just see out of my notes, yeah, Luke 10, 25, that there was a man who was on his way to Jericho and fell among thieves. And a priest and a Levite came by, and they crossed over on the other side, and uh, uh, they, they, they did nothing for this man. But a certain Samaritan comes by, and he takes him to an inn. I like to call that inn a New Covenant church. It's preaching the grace of God in the New Covenant. And he takes him to an inn and says, we're not just going to point out his problems. He takes him to an inn and says, whatever it costs to make him better, I'm willing to pay the price for. Again, I've got to emphasize this because every time I start to talk like this, I feel like there's someone listening that needs to know that whatever it costs to make you better, Jesus has already paid the price for it. You just need to receive him today and enter in through that door and begin your journey listening to the shepherd of the sheep. I want to say this as well. Uh, You know, I've been a grace preacher and a new covenant preacher for a long time. Almost afraid anymore to say I'm a grace preacher because there's so much mixture in it till almost hate to identify with some of the crazy stuff that's going on out there. Because it just, it it has become to many a case, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, and 
God loves me and He accepts me just like I am, which is absolutely true. He loves you just like you are, and He will love you if you never change. But the truth is, He wants to give you not just a ticket to heaven, He wants to give you an abundant life right here and right now, and that comes through the door. And make no mistake about it, at least from this grace preacher, I believe God wants to change our lives. I believe He wants to transform us. I believe He wants to take out of our lives the things that's destroying us, that's robbing us, that's leaving us bleeding and dying, both religion and worldly stuff that become thieves to us. Because it's all that ever came before me that are thieves, is what He says here in John 10, verse 9. All that ever came before me. But see, Romans 12 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the contrast there is, if you look at the context of the Scriptures, is that law can conform you, but grace will transform you. Law can change your behavior. Grace will change your heart. And I shared with you last week how that when he found this man bleeding and dying beside the Jericho Road, he poured in oil and he poured in wine. I'm not going to go back and rehearse all that I said last week, but oil and wine flow from Zion. Zion in the New Testament is a symbol of the New Covenant. Because in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he said, you did not come to Mount Sinai. You did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to a God who says, if you touch the edge of the mountain, you'll be thrust through with the dark. But you are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So what he's saying here in Hebrews is that you didn't come to Sinai, blackness and darkness. You've come to Mount, you've come to Mount Zion, new covenant. Sinai, old covenant. Zion, new covenant. Oil and wine speaks to me of the oil of anointing and the flow of the new wine of the Holy Spirit that flows from Mount Zion. I was thinking uh, just the other day, I was in... Um, uh, let me think where I was at when, when uh, I, I was here. I was in Indianapolis. <coughs> Excuse me. I was in Indianapolis and I was looking at the Scripture in Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. And when God was getting ready to bring them out of Egypt, He says, For the land whither thou goest is not like the land that you came out of. And boy, that thing really zinged in my spirit. He said, it's not like the land you came. Where you're headed is not like where you came from. Now that ought to, listen, I, I'm saying that to religious folks right now. Where God wants to take us is not like where we've been. He said, the land of Egypt from where you came out of was a, was a land that you had to till the ground and you had to sow your seed with your foot and you had to water it with the, the water that flowed from the Nile River. But the land that you're headed for is a land that the Lord God cares for. He causes the rain of heaven to fall on it. In other words, the land of Egypt, you had to work and till and labor. That religious system that you were under made a slave out of you, but you're headed for one where you're not a slave, you're a son. And it's not like the land you came out of. Stop comparing this new covenant. I believe our biggest hindrance right now is with folk who think where we're headed in this promised land is like what we came out of. Now let me say this for you because I'm, 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 I'm sidetracking here, but I believe it's worth saying. Hebrews 4 tells us 
The fourth chapter of Hebrews tells us that the promised land is more than a piece of real estate. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and in Christ all of God's promises are yes and amen. Jesus Christ is our promised land. It is in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. And if we are in Him, we are a land that the Lord God cares for. We are a land that the Lord God causes the rain of heaven to fall on it, that He watches over with His own eyes. The land you came from was a land of works and labor. You had to till the ground and work it with your foot, is what Deuteronomy 11 says. And you say, well, Brother Haas, yeah, 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 we, we came out of Egypt. That's the world. And yeah, I can see how you can use that analogy. But I really saw something different in Revelation 11, verse 8. Revelation 11, 8 says this, Then their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And it never dawns on us that our Lord was not crucified in Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit is making a connection that the centerpiece of Judaism, which was Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit called it a place that was spiritually called Egypt. So I submit to you that the slavery we were under when we were in bondage, when we were children under uh, the elementary teachings, Galatians 3 and 4 says we were servants and slaves, but now we are no longer servants and slaves, but we're heirs and joint heirs, and we're sons of God by inheritance and what we inherit through Him. So to me, when he, he, he says the land, it's, it's not about works and labor. It's not about your struggles. It's not about you being conformed. It's about being transformed. It's about being changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And it's in that chapter in John 10, 10, that he says, The thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. So the door is very clearly here in John 10. He's saying, you thought the way into the sheepfold was through the works of the flesh and the law of Moses, but I came to tell you that when you think there's some of the way, it will always end up being a thief to you. Religion will leave you disappointed, broke, busted, discouraged, and ultimately it will rob your faith. But the real gospel will transform you from the inside out and not from the outside in, because it is a door that is being opened right now on such a vast level all over the world that the gospel of grace is saying the door is wide open and it is leading you in to Him, and He's the door. It's in that context that I started thinking about the straight gate. Now let me... Uh, because that, that's very similar in thought to it. Now let me just show you the context here of entering in at the straight gate. It's amazing to me that so many times I've had people come up to me and say, uh, Brother House, listen, I'm going to come to your church when I get my act together. To which I reply, if you get your act together, it's just an act. And God is not interested in actors. Now, some of us could win an acting award for it, but the truth of it is he's not interested in actors. He wants people who are real, who are genuine, and who are authentic. I believe the real crave of people everywhere is for authenticity and for transparency and for being real. But let me just take you over here to Luke 13, because this is the context of the straight gate scripture. He spake also this parable, this is verse 6, Luke 13. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. 
Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree. Notice, three years he comes seeking fruit on this fig tree. And find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, shall, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. Now as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when she saw, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work in them, therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall, and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound low these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? On the Sabbath day, and when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he unto them, What is the kingdom of God like, and whereto shall I resemble? He said, It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. And when he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able, when once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then you shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence. Thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out, and you, and they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and first, and, and behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying to him, Get thee out and depart, for, and depart hence, for Herod, Herod <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> will kill thee. Now let me just unpack this a minute. In Luke 10, the whole context he starts out with, first of all, is the kingdom of God is like a fig tree. It's like a certain man had a fig tree, and he came and sought fruit on it. Now what I want you to see, first of all, is that the fig tree, to me, fits in with the paradigm I'm already sharing from John 10, and that is the fig tree, first of all, speaks to me of man's self-help religion, his sin management programs. You say what he said. Adam used the leaves of a fig tree to cover his nakedness. And, and the reality of it is, because it, uh, uh, it was an apron, it was only a good front. The second thing, so you can see that it has to do with religion from the fig tree, but what I want you to see is also the fig tree is a symbol 
of natural Israel, the centerpiece of Judaism. See, what I'm showing you is that, see, God has not called us to be Jewish. He's called us to be Christian. Now, I'm not saying Jews are not included. I'm just saying there's only one vine that these branches connect to, and His name is Jesus. We'll get to that when I talk about He is the vine. But it is interesting to me that when you think about the fig tree being a type of natural Israel, He has come, according to this text, He said uh, to the dress of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I don't find any. Cut it down. And He answered, Let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. It will bear fruit already, but don't then cast it down and put it in the fire. Jesus spent three years going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and offering them this new way in through the door that He was, and they were rejecting it. And so for three years He said, I've come looking for fruit, but this thing is not producing fruit. And so the guy says, well, just leave it alone this year also, and we'll dung about it and see if it grows fruit. Jesus spent three and a half years, so for the next season they dunged about this tree. Of course, we know that that tree did not bear fruit, and so he said, then cut it down. Wish I had time to really unpack all of this, because in another place he uses that in the same context as he does with, say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. I submit to you that the mountain he was talking to was not the mountain in your life. It was the mountain of Old Covenant Law, Sinai. And you see in Revelation, the book of Revelation, there was a great mountain burning with fire that was cast into the sea. So this, this, this mountain that he's talking about, and this fig tree, was talking about this system of law and religion under the Old Covenant that did not help people. And again, we find a woman in the same context who was bowed to the earth, and she's got a spirit of infirmity. She's been bound for 18 years. She could in no wise lift up herself, and, and Jesus laid hands on her and healed her. And then here comes the religious dudes again. There are six days in which men ought to come and be healed. Then let them come on one of these other six days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. I, I don't know where you'd be, but I, I, you know, I'd like to think if I was standing here and I just saw Jesus heal somebody that had been sick for 18 years. I, I think I'd like the thought, I wouldn't care less which day it is. I'm just glad the woman got healed. But see, once again, religion always chooses its rules over the reality of relationship and it doesn't heal anybody. It just keeps them under the bondage. And so this woman, uh, you know, was healed, and they, they, they want to fight about the Sabbath day. And Jesus just defaults to a covenant, actually, that precedes the law of Moses. And he says, ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham? So he defaults to the Abrahamic covenant. And under the Abrahamic covenant, this woman had a right to be loosed from this infirmity. Uh, a lot more I could say about the woman, but I'm going to pass that for now. And then he begins to talk to them about the kingdom of God, and he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and it's also like leaven. In other words, the principle of the kingdom is it is a new form of government, and when it comes on the scene, it may be small, but once it gets in the lump, it will infect the whole thing, will begin to expand with the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was introducing the kingdom that was about to replace the law. A new form of government was coming on the scene. And it is in the setting of all of that 
Uh, it's in the backdrop of him cursing this fig tree. It's in the backdrop of him dealing with these religious dudes. It is in the backdrop of him introducing the kingdom that he says strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, of, uh, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. I submit to you that to enter in at the straight gate is not talking about performance-based religion where you got to get your act together. The straight gate is Jesus. The door into the sheepfold is Jesus. The only way into the covenants of promise is through Jesus. And to this first century group of people, there were few that were finding this new way. When he says, you know, enter in at the straight gate, for straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Not heaven, life. We can't read into stuff that's not there. And few there be that find it. But broad is the way. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. In other words, he's talking to a first century. This is his audience. He's talking to Jews in the first century, offering them this new covenant kingdom of God, trying to get them to focus, not with their faces bowed to the earth like the woman here, but to look up into the heavens to a whole new way of doing things. And he's saying to them, strive to enter in at this straight gate, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So there was few of these first century people that were finding uh, that were finding this way. This fig tree was about to be cursed. And, and then he goes on to say, that what's going to happen is he says, strive to enter the gate, straight gate. For many I say unto you will seek to enter and shall not be able. And when once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. And you shall begin and, and, and then shall you begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and thou hast taught in our streets. He's talking about these Jewish people in the first century. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not which you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. He's talking about rejecting these apostate Jews in the first century. And he said, and behold, there are last which shall be first and first which shall be last. Let me tell you the context of that is. He's saying, you Jews were first, but you're about to be last. And the Gentiles that you thought were last are about to be first. There's about to be a change because we're not coming in through the door of this old covenant paradigm and there are last which shall be first and first which shall be last. The same day certain of the Pharisees said to him, get out and depart this for Herod will kill thee. Let me tell you, he's saying to them, the way into this kingdom of God and the way into life and the life of the coming age is through the door and the gate. The rest were about to be shut out, and in this first century, it was about to be lights out for natural Israel, and God was about to include the Gentiles at the table. That's the door. I am the door. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've got a moment, call that number on the screen and sow a generous seed into the ministry, or you can go to our website. It's very easy to do that. You can give via credit card or debit card or set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a partner there. Also, you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen, and uh, you can write to us at that address. Your help is definitely needed. If you appreciate what we're saying and you appreciate the gospel we're preaching, please get behind it because it takes you and it takes a village to take this thing clear around the world. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. The word repentance means to change your mind. 
The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.